Hey everybody, welcome to the Bold Sidebar Podcast, a podcast for lawyers, judges, and professionals serving clients. I am your host, Attorney Jeff Horn. My task is to interview the best of us to discover the tips, tricks, and techniques you need to serve your client and keep your sanity. Enjoy. Hey everybody, it's Jeff Horn back with the Bold Sidebar. Today I'm here with my long-term, very good friend, Joe Lepore. Joe suffers because he is my number one or close to number one go-to guy with every crazy idea I ever come up with. He never really says yes, but he never really says no either. <laughs> he just looks at me puzzled, he asks a few questions, and he lets me go out into the world. So I, I appreciate your judgment-free zone, Joe. I, I learn a lot. I learn a lot every time I hear one of those one of those uh, plans that you have, Jeff, believe me. <laughs> so let, let's go ahead and do a little more of a formal intro. Uh, Joe has been an attorney now getting on 24 years. He is a graduate, very proud graduate of Villanova and a very proud winner of a couple of recent NCAA basketball championships. He is a graduate of Nova Southeastern Law in Florida. And he took, as I did, a little bit of a circuitous route back to the law. After school, he went out and worked in the pharma business for a while. And we'll talk about the two big Lepore family businesses before he went into uh, practice with some of his other attorney family members. He's one of five boys, proud Lepore parents, uh, gave off a lot of brains and they provide a lot of value to our society. So I'll just run through those brothers really, really quick. Right. Uh, of course, we have Joe. He's a twin brother, Jerry, who was a successful guy in the pharma business and now is really succeeding in something totally different as the owner of PowerFlow Yoga Studios, uh, all over the place. So that's a real switch. A friend of mine who has been a friend a long time, another brother, lawyer and judge, Bob Robert Lepore, uh, has been at it for many, many years. Another attorney who I don't know personally, he sort of got out of the game as I was getting in, but he's in a completely different game. Brother James was a successful attorney, and his second career is as a novelist. And the other brother who I've never laid eyes on, but heard about and read about and people talk about him, Patrick, who's been uh, very successful in the pharma business and, and been an executive and board member on publicly traded companies. But all that said, uh, the poor family brings a lot of brains, a lot of ethics, a lot of class, and I'm thrilled to be here for our first remote location as Joe is our host at his office today. So let me throw it to Joe so he can complete the intro. I appreciate that, Jeff. That was very nice of you to you to say those, those uh, kind words about my family, but it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, you know, knowing you for the past 20, 25 years has been uh, has been a great pleasure of mine, and uh, I'm more than 
happy to sit with you and, and talk law and hopefully other topics. Yeah, and we do this uh, several times a year. We just start talking. Usually it's me making Joe talk a little bit, but uh, <laughs> you can laugh out loud. It's all right. That's true. That uh, is true. Once I get them going, then it fills up my uh, head with a lot of great thoughts and ideas and wisdom. So let's just start talking. I mean, I, I'm really interested in the day in the life of guys that I view as very successful practitioners who also have a life, whether it's a family life, a spiritual life, something else going on in their life. So let me just throw it to you, Joe. Day in the life. You wake up at what time and take me through your day. Well, a day in the life, you know what? It's a good question, Jeff, because it hasn't really changed much since I began practicing law. It, it is, I've, I do different things, but the mindset has always really been the same. I've always been an early riser, um, probably a little bit earlier as I started my career. So I do want the time in the morning, every morning, whether it's a weekend or weekday, to to just be by myself, do my thing. But as lawyers and, and businessmen that we are, the first thing I always do is go to my phone. I don't sleep with my phone next to me, but I go to it. I check emails. I respond to clients, even if it's five thirty, six o'clock in the morning, <laughs> like I'm sure you do. And that makes me feel good because I know now that I'm starting the day not only to get my head you know where I want it to be but I've addressed some things that as lawyers we go to bed thinking about you know before we go to sleep so and then I do a, a routine every morning I've done for many many years that just gets my body going it's a, just a you know it's a physical routine that I love to do part yoga part pilates that kind of thing and then and then it's into the world the kids in school and uh and and rushing around in a morning that's you know you try to appreciate as it's happening, it's not as uh, not that easy, but and then I get my mind into the day. Right, right. That practice. Are you doing that practice at home primarily, or are you going to a studio and doing a workout early in the morning? It, it does vary. I do that one practice at home uh, every morning, but I do have times in my life where I'm doing. I'll go somewhere and take a yoga class, do things like that. Um, I f- whether it's surfing too, <clears throat> those things get me so uh, grounded to start the day and if it's only doing my stretches and my thing <clears throat> that's okay because I've I've given myself something that makes me feel good yeah. before you know and it's not the craziness of a day but before you're you have to get motivated and pumped mm-hmm. that's that's every day that's every day that's, that's every day that's great and that's for a long time very long time yeah yeah all right well now you're I bring you into the office and you've uh, been here you've had one partner for a long time uh, Pete Luizzi, we'll, we'll give him a little plug here, a great guy, and his uh, wife who works in the courts, Jennifer Lombardi, who was maybe one of the first lawyers I ever, ever met. Oh, that's funny. When I was a law clerk, right. and she was a very good practitioner who then pivoted over to a, a different role, right. and you and Pete have been partners here for, for a long, long time. But before that, you worked in a family law firm, right? Tell me about that. Yep. Before, uh, you know, even when Pete and I first became partners, I did have one brother around. But when I came to work down down the shore, I'll call it, which is, you know, I'm from North Jersey like you. Right. We come down the shore. We live in paradise now. Right. So 25 years ago, I came down here and never looked back. But I came down to go to go work for my two older brothers who were by themselves. And um, that was, you know, the great dream for me. Uh, was uh, That was huge. But Pete was working here. Um, at the time as an associate he was a few years older than me but he was he was here doing his thing and 
we instantly hit it off and lo and behold yeah, we're still together which is you know we were just talking off air it's rare it's it rare. Is rare and now we're partners and yeah yeah very tough to stay together sure. so you come down you're the younger brother are you and your twin the youngest of the family we are the youngest yes yeah. yep. so you have all these successful guys ahead of you I guess I'll roll the clock back. You yeah. get out of college and you go work in pharma for a little while. I did because that time my my older brother, Pat, who's 10 years older than me, was in that industry. And right. I just thought, that's a cool business. It's looked like a good job. He traveled a lot. It looked fun. He helped me get into it. I got I got a foot in the door and, and I didn't like it. You didn't like it? I didn't like it. Uh, you know, it was a sales job. I was out on the road. It was kind of... Uh, had a territory that wasn't the best. And I just felt I was not doing what I should be doing. Yeah. And that lasted about a year, two two years or so. Right. And I started thinking, well, I got to do something else. Law school was always in the back of my mind, but never really, you know, driving me until I had, a, you know, this, this, this thought with this pharma job that it wasn't for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So brother James and Bob, I was calling Bobby's Robert, they were in practice together at that time. Right, And right. doing a two-office practice in northern Jersey as well as at the shore? That's right. Okay. That's right. They partnered up with uh, a, an attorney up in, in uh, Bergen County, Bob Zimmerer. And they, yeah, and they, they kind of managed doing it, having two op- offices. Jim's from Bergen County, where he practices from Bergen County. You know, we're all from North Jersey. We have a lot of ties right. up there. We wanted to keep them. So yeah. we tried to manage it with two, two offices at that time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And did you, so you came in as just a regular associate, even though you had the name. Didn't matter. <laughs> the money, I remember talking to my older brother, Jim, because when, when, he, when he said, you're going to come work for us if you want to. And I said, yeah, of course. And I said, well, can we talk about what the money is? I mean, what's, what am I getting paid? <laughs> this is tw- over 20 years ago. And he said, don't worry about the money. It's not about the money. You'll make the money eventually. He didn't even tell me what I was making. <laughs> he just said, just come work. And don't worry about it. Don't think about it. Now, I don't know if that would have, you know, really flown with other associates, but with a family member, I was fine with it. Totally fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you work there and we, I met you when you were in that state, you know, you were an associate, the firm was, you kind of have a bigger, you had a bigger firm, you had a bunch of names on the, uh, on the uh, nameplate. And then you guys went your separate ways. And that happens all the time in law firms. So, you know, that's happened to me multiple times. And I always say this, I love all of my old associates and partners. I'm always happy to see them. At least they fake that they're happy to see me. If they're not really happy, I'm not sure. But uh, we can can get along. We've had cases with each other, and it seems very cool. Yep. Uh, I wanted it very badly to be that way when we went out the door. and, and I, it I is think, that yeah. way for you because I know your partner. Your, you know, I know Jay very well, and they, and even your former associates and partners, they all love you and respect you. Have never had anything bad to say about you, so it can work. And and yeah. you know, with my older brother Jim, that he went out and did his thing. He had it enough. He practiced for twenty five years, and he said, "I'm going to go write books, take photos, things like that." And, yeah. and he did it. He did it. And it kind of led to a little change of, of, of how the firm was going to go from there with my other brother, Bob. Right. And we had decided, mutually agreed, that maybe the best thing was, you know, you do your thing, I do mine. And obviously, we continue to refer each other business. But, you know, we thought that's the way it should go. And right. 
never any hard feelings. It works. I love him. I just went to dinner with him a couple of weeks yeah. ago. So it's all good. It yeah. can work. You're right, Jeff. It's sometimes it doesn't, but thank mm-hmm. God. Very good. Well, I'm, I'm glad yeah. to hear that. Uh, I kind of had that feeling that uh, you guys were able to smooth it out pretty quickly. And uh, I'll just plug the James Lepore. You find him on uh, Amazon. He's got a whole bunch of books now. Yeah. And uh, I'm on some kind of a feed. So I get oh, good. some short stories and things like that. Yeah. It's intense stuff. It, He's it's got not a screenplay. Stuff. No, no. It's all very sus- suspense driven uh, books that he's written. And he's written a sc- screenplay, which he's got sent out there to Hollywood trying to get oh. it figured out. But he's. Uh, He's the creative one by far out of these five boys. Yeah. No one, no one touches that. So That's, that's really cool. cool. Yeah. There's one other job you have, and I'm really going to tease you about this, and you can, you can dunk this on me. The other, the other job is one summer you went out with your brothers out to the NBA fantasy camp. Do I have that right? That's right. And you were coaching alongside maybe Jay Billis? No, Jay Wright, the Jay Nova Wright, coach. Jay Wright, the Nova yeah. coach. Yes, yes. Tell me about that because you've told me about this before. I just thought that was the coolest Tremendous. bonding fun thing to Tremendous. do. Tremendous. And, and, you know, it couldn't have happened without my other brother, Pat, because he's the one who who arranged for us for it and got us all out there. But it's a fantasy basketball camp with all the top-name college coaches. You mentioned Jay Billis, not a coach, but he was out there. Calipari was out there. Jay Wright was out there. Bill Raftery, an announcer, was out there. All the big guys. And you go play games for them as coaches. I couldn't play. I hurt my knee. I had knee surgery. But I got to assistant coach with Jay Wright, the Villanova (laughs) head coach, who I, you know, I went to Villanova. So it was an end. I coached my brother, who was on the team. So (laughs) it it was three days of just the most fun. If you're a basketball fan like I am, and I know you are, it was, uh, Tremendous experience. Tremendous. That's really cool. Yeah, this is my time of the year. Playoffs. Definitely. You mentioned surgeries. I've had surgeries a couple times on my shoulders. I always plan them from a- for April, right. April and May, so I could just be sitting on the couch <laughs> recovering, and I'll watch the playoff games during the day that were on the night before. I'll right. watch them over and over right. again and watch NBA TV, and I just love Same with basketball. Me. I'm crazy about love me basketball. Too. So, all right. So, now I'll bring you back to the office. Talk to me about the case intake process and and I'll I'll just frame it like this. I mean over the years you have been a general practitioner. You've handled a lot of civil cases primarily, but you've handled some family and divorce cases. You've handled other kinds of cases. I really think you are a resource for a deep well of knowledge in the law. I'm going to guess working with your brothers and others gave you that deep well, but you really have focused on trial law, trial preparation, um, personal injury law, and become a really uh, renowned expert. Uh, In that, you have been recognized by top 100 national trial lawyers, super lawyers, top lawyers. I'm just touching the surface. Um, You know, it's funny, when you know the guy, I know what you know, but I don't know who else knows it, but some people have figured it out, Joe. So let's do a case intake for somebody. You know, it, it's funny that you, you – because it has transformed over the years. You're right, though. I've always been a litigator from the minute I stepped into this practice um, with the intent to try cases for sure. And when I got down here with my brothers, it was funny. Jim, my oldest brother, well, I probably will mention a lot because he was the driving force for me to become a lawyer. He's, he 
from the lawyer's perspective was is my mentor, my number one mentor. So when I got the chance to work for him, I soaked it all in. He was a certified civil trial attorney. My goal as soon as I got here was to become a certified civil trial attorney, which I did eventually. I just knew those things. He, the way he practiced was how I wanted to practice. So when we first got here, it's when you say case intake, Jim did everything. I mean, he really, if he felt there was value in it, whether it doesn't have to be monetary, but if he felt that there was a, a good fight and a good cause and a good client, he would take it. If it meant learning that area of law from scratch, he would do it. I don't do that as much now, but I did get a chance to have so many different types of cases as I was starting out, including family, which I know you do, Jeff, predominantly. I still do family law, and I did a lot more when I was younger, but I've never stopped doing it. But I I don't have as much as I used to. I primarily focus on civil um, personal injury is really what I do. But what what he did was he gave me he gave me the experience. He taught me how to not fear um, a new case. And you're smart enough. We all are. If you want to do it, you can learn it. People think you get pigeonholed into one area and you think, well, I can't do a divorce because I don't know anything about it. And it seems really hard, but you can if you want to give the time and do it. So I did it. But now it's evolved to the point where I can't say I'm selective with cases, but I do focus primarily on personal injury. My partner, Pete, is the same way. Um, so, you know, our whole goal is is help that person who's injured, help that person, whatever the injury is, product liability, medical malpractice, car accident, which we try to get out there, get our name out there, and get those cases in. Right, right. So we, as lawyers, and in particular, sometimes the injury lawyers have uh, the reputation of maybe some ethical challenges. One of our friends, Stacy Kerr, who's been on this show told me about a story when she was an associate where the firm she worked for is a little bit of a schlocky injury firm has a case with seven guys in a Volkswagen that they suddenly were in the car <laughs> right, right and right. how they all got into the car right. would be a miracle to start with and they all were injured and this firm was representing all seven right. of the driver and passenger right so how do you screen for that because you know people are going to show up sometimes with maybe not the most honest intent Definitely. and try to get you to do their bidding. Right. And you do have to balance what your real uh, motive is because, you know, when you're younger and you want to bring cases in, especially if you think you have your own firm, you're going to gloss over the the questions in the back of your head that maybe raise red flags. Mm. And, I, and not to say you'd be more unethical when you're younger. That's not what I'm saying, except, you know, you might get yourself in a jam when you're younger with clients that maybe turn out to be not so not so good. You know, you and I have been doing it long enough, Jeff. I can almost say within a few minutes, I will know um, whether the case is on the up and up. I, I just got a phone call, it's so funny you say, um, from someone who wanted to, you know, retain me for something that I just, the more I heard from him, the more I talked to him, I just said, I'm sorry, I can't do it for you. And maybe it's a case to make money. So I just learned I'm not going to get jammed up anymore. I'm not going to uh, be someone who's going to take a case just for, you know, to try to make a buck. It's not me. So let me let me take off on that. I'm going to call this uh, maybe spidey sense or Jedi sense that you develop only because of pain. Right. You, you made some mistakes early totally, on. Totally. Totally. And, and you wound up with some character in here who's 
uh, got you in a bit of a box. You want to stay out of the box. That's right. So, exactly. so are there things that you ask or things that these potential clients say to you that all of a sudden activate that spidey sense? That's a good question. That's a good question. I don't know if it's anything in particular that they say. Sometimes you do get the the obvious trigger words like, you know, right off the bat, they're asking how much money the case is worth without really telling me, you know, that they're hurt, you know, what their injuries are. <laughs> so when they put the value before the uh, the injury, something – but you know what, Jeff? It's just a sense, not only of just practicing law for this long, it's just being around for this long, dealing with kids, you know, that we've started families, you know, when we, before we had families, you and I knew each other, you know, starting families and getting married and all that stuff. You do learn the ways of life. Yeah. And uh, you're able to, you're able to filter out what you need to in, in law, in your profession and in every other part of your life. You know? It's so true. It's so yeah. true. The, uh, practice of law can give you a jaundiced eye right. of the rest of society or not. I, I feel like I don't have it. Um, it doesn't overrun me, right. but but my BS meter does uh, alert quicker than as a non-lawyer, I think, would. That's probably true for me, too, because who else like you and I get to meet with people every single day that are looking to hire us that, you know, have a ton of problems in their lives. They do. So you're so right about whether that. they're real or not is another question. But yeah. most of the time they are. Most of yeah. the time. Yeah, I, I think the spidey sense activator is when I cannot get the client to answer my question. I ask a question, they tell me something. It's kind of normal the first time. Second time, I get a little firmer. Third time, I'm saying, don't say anything else except the answer to this question, right. or else we're done having a conversation right, right now. Right. And if they still keep talking, right. we're not going to be a match. No. You know how match. to get to what you want. You need the information, not without cutting anyone short. But listen, we've been doing it too long to waste time. Not that you know, you're know you yeah. wasting time with a new consult, but you do want to get to the point. So uh, with a new consult... Someone calls, seems like they have a legitimate case and their um, time is right and, and so forth. Do they get an appointment in the office with you right away or is it on the phone first? How do you generally screen a potential new client? Generally, if they call, I, I sometimes don't even have to talk to them on the phone. Um, if it's a call that says I was hurt or I got referred by someone who I know, I'm going to have them come in. Um, okay. Um, if it's a call about a malpractice case that I know I have to spend time with the client and talk to him before I will meet with him or talk to him before I will meet with him because I know those cases are tricky and hard, I'll have a phone consult because I could weed out most of them on the phone and I don't have to spend the time with them and waste, waste time, anyone's time, yeah. really. Yeah. Car accidents, slip and falls, things like that, you generally get them in. I don't, they're not long consults anyway. If, if it's something that it's not going to be a case, they'll know right away from me. Right, right. I'm going to give a, a plug to staff. Yes. You've had at least one staff member that I know for a long time, Arlene Goldsmith, right? Arlene's been here longer than me. <laughs> She's been right. here longer than me. That's she great. started when Jim started, yeah. That is yeah. great. That yeah. is great. I mean, um, how much does the staff do for you in terms of the screening process and keeping the wheels moving. Yeah, yeah. They they instinctually know what has to be done, what I want. I'm Pete and I are different in a lot of ways. He's uh, he spends a lot of time 
and and gives gives his clients a lot of a lot of time. And as I do too, um, but but my staff knows um, how to to get to the bottom line with what a client wants. And if they know it's something that I would want to have a phone consult or to get them in, they usually know before they even have to ask me. It's just something when you what works along with people, they kind of know your personality, your tendencies. And then when I get them in, and if that person is a client, then that person is has my one hundred percent devotion of of my time. Right. Yeah. Th- that's for sure. I mean, I, I know I'm a small res- referral source for you guys, but I only only get good feedback from anyone who communicates with me. So if I have a family law client and they have an injury or their relative has an injury and they want to talk to me about it, I'm always happy to talk and then I refer them out and I always get good feedback. Even if you tell them, I don't think you have a case, the way you've done it is in a fashion where they feel like they've been heard, they've been respected, and they can make a decision if they want to go elsewhere. Jeff, when I turn down a case, and and I've learned this over the years because it's hard to turn it down when you're younger. You don't want to, and you don't know how to. Um, But I could tell you what I've learned over the years about turning down cases, which I do quite often, I almost invariably get feedback from that client with a thank you, I appreciate it. Wow. And and in your mind, you're thinking, I'm going to really let this person down. I'm going to really crush this person. But that's not really what happens. They respect the honesty. And um, and down the road, that'll pay back. You know, and, and I've gotten calls from clients that I've turned down that have either they've referred me other people or they've come back. Yeah, just be honest. That's all you can tell me, right? <laughs> that's, a, yeah, that's all you have to do. And in this profession, you know, you know, you come across, it's not always the case. It's not always the case. No. I think it's the Billy Joel song. Honesty is hardly ever heard. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, that's well, the that, reputation. That really is a, is a good um, way to dovetail into talking about lawyers. And I'm very interested in who's the best lawyer? What are the characteristics or traits of the best lawyer that you run into? Who are you happy to see in the courthouse as right. an adversary or maybe co-counsel or just know a guy is doing a good job for That's his clients? That's a great, great question. That really is. Because you do, although I think about that sometimes, it's never on the, the front of my mind or I've never written it down, but you kind of do know who is out there that you respect. And then you think, why do I? Uh, a couple things. And I can think of a few attorneys out there that I've run across throughout the years that I, I think... That's, that's what I would want to be like, and that's how I would want to be treated, and and I'd want the respect that these people get because they have respect. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's um, one thing. I always, I'm always impressed by in, intelligence, knowledge, um, you know, about the law. Uh, that always immediately strikes me as someone I know is, is going to be not only a formidable opponent, but someone I could respect. The other thing is the the humility. I love to come across someone who I who doesn't want to have to stand out, who doesn't want to have to you know boast about their their successes, and who is just quietly goes about their business in a in a in a respectful way. And then the other thing is, Jeff, we've been doing this for twenty five years. You get to know people. You you have cases for three years at a time. Sometimes you become friendly and a lot of times and I could tell you the ones that I really respect the most have those qualities great intelligence knowledge of the law humility but they become someone you can 
talk to uh, in a friendly way. Not only, you know, you, you know you're fighting, you know you both have goals that are different, but if you respect that person, then it makes your job so much easier. So much of your practice in the injury realm is drawing swords with attorneys who, although they have a client in name, ultimately represent the insurance company. That's is true. That, is that an accurate characterization? Yes. And so do you come across those same insurance defending insurance company defending attorneys on a regular basis? Very often. Very often. And you try the same you try cases against the same attorneys. Um, and for the most part where we are, Jeff, in Ocean County and Monmouth County, the the insurance defense bar is they're all I can't I don't have a lot of complaints. You, you always run into someone who is gonna be um, you know, drank the Kool Aid, as I like to say, and just thinks that if you fi- if you ever file a case for personal injury, there's something wrong with it. You know, <laughs> oh, that kind God. of mentality. But right. for the most part, I have good experiences with the mm-hmm. attorneys around mm-hmm. here. I do. I want to. I'm going to take you back. You may not remember the story. We were walking in what was called the gerbil tube back in the day. There was a tube that connected a couple courthouses, and you know, Joe, you're tall, and you were walking with another taller attorney. And I enthusiastically said hello to you, and you you just didn't respond with the smile that you might have. And later I said, what's going on? You okay? You're like, oh, I was with this other guy. We were really uh, knocking heads together. And you had succeeded at the trial court, and the guy filed an appeal. Right. And and it was one of those tough days. You you come across that guy again? Uh, I've seen him. I haven't had a case with him. (laughs) And, you know, and when I see him, he's... uh, He's nice. He's cordial. Okay. It's probably how he deals with every case, <laughs> right? right? It. So it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Zealous, that one advocate, well. yeah, zealous yes. advocacy, advocacy is, is absolutely fine. Right. Right. Um, right. But it doesn't have to be between us on a personal no, level. No, it does not. No. So no, a, a couple no. things came out of that, Joe. Let's talk about the trial because as a certified civil trial attorney and all these other designations and honors – that you have, it's because you are willing to and have tried a lot of cases, right? You do have to have a certain amount of trials under your belt to become certified, and then you have to keep keep those requirements going every five years to become recertified. So I, I got certified 12, 15 years ago, something like that. Um, and before I applied, you have to show to the board that you have a certain amount of trial days, and you have to also provide recommendations from judges and from attorneys and they, you know, do the whole analysis. Then you have to take a six hour test. It's not an easy thing to do. Right. And there's only maybe one or 2% of the civil attorneys in the state have this certification. But so the certificate, what was your question? Well, I was going to dig a little deeper into the, into the trial because everything I read, every magazine from the ABA or state bar, People you talk to, seminars you go to, is that the trial is disappearing. It's mm. kind of a big umbrella of the That's disappearing good, trial. Right. And I wanted right. to get you to talk about I that. I can tell a you it bit. has slowed down for me as far as um, my my days on my feet in front of juries. Um, I, I think that is because, especially in my area of the law, they have made it harder to get to a jury. Uh, there's certain roadblocks that every plaintiff's attorney has to go through with, especially with car accident cases. You know, there's certain things you have to prove. There's thresholds of permanency, things like that, which kind of kick a lot of cases out of the box early or, you know, for settlements um, that you would rather take than risking a, jo- a jury trial. 
Okay. So that's really so. Yeah, I would say, yeah. In my in my field, you probably settle ninety percent of the cases. Yeah, no matter what the uh, case is. Yeah. So you mentioned the insurance reform, tort reform over the years. Insurance reform has been a big movement nationwide, and um, we call it the lawsuit threshold. It's been called the verbal threshold. I imagine other states it's called different things. But the idea is you have to have a very serious injury in order to recovery, recover on an injury claim. Is that a broad way to say it? That is a good way to say it. it and that's a good way to explain it to, <laughs> to clients. It really is. You got you to gotta have a permanent injury. And the only way to prove a permanent injury is, is by a, an objective medical test. And what is that? That's usually an MRI. If you can get that, and even if you do have a test that says you're hurt or that there's something objectively wrong, you still have to convince a jury of it. So it's not easy. I'm not complaining because I love to do it and I love to help people. So I'm not, you know, I'll try any case. I generally know when I take a case that I have a, a reasonable success. Uh, you know, I, I can reasonably think that the case will resolve in one way or another and be successful because I wouldn't take a case without knowing that I'm going to make some money on it. But, sure. um, you know, maybe it was different in my younger days. But. <laughs> well, one of the tricks you told me this early on when we met and another one of our friends, Dave Castanante, told me, yeah. don't click the little box on your insurance form for the verbal threshold, right? Please. For just a few bucks. Please. You, I think my premiums are you know, maybe a hundred or 200 bucks more because I don't click that threshold right on my insurance policy. And now I'm, I'm really unable to recover unless I break a, a bone or something very, very serious and permanent. It, it's really foolish to me, again, not an injury lawyer, foolish to me to save that couple hundred bucks that might wind up costing you literally hundreds of thousands of dollars if you had a bad car accident but didn't exactly meet the criteria in the statute. That's true. That is true. I, I mean, I've had clients, I tell every client after a case, change your insurance. As soon as they come in, I say, change your insurance. It's not good for this case that I have you on, but go get that zero threshold and you will never have to worry if you get into a car accident that there's going to be you know, some requirement they have to prove permanency. If you get hurt in a car accident, you're going to get something. Right. Um, that's with the zero threshold. You know, with the verbal, um, I, again, I tell every client, I know it's going to cost you a few hundred bucks, maybe three, four hundred dollars to do it, but you can have peace of mind that even if you get a soft tissue injury, which are painful, Jeff, as we know, because I've had my back issues and, I, and I'm sure you've had issues, they're permanent. They're, they don't go away. It's not a broken bone, but it's something that you're going to have to live with the rest of your life. And it's hard when you have the verbal threshold to, to be able to sue for that. So whether clients listen, and I believe me, I understand that, you, you know, the, the cost is not something that's easy to, you know, easy to pay all the time. But um, I, wish, I wish everyone would do it. Honestly, I do. More on this disappearing trial. So in my area of law, the trial has disappeared because the courts have pushed litigants out of court. 20 years ago, it was non-binding, court-oriented mediation. Now there's an enormous industry of mediators and arbitrators, experienced attorneys, retired judges. You know my judge, my original mentor, Judge Thomas O'Brien. He has a thriving practice 
others that we knew over the years, Judge Klein, Judge Serpentelli, Judge Buzinski, uh, Judge Zampino, that are really creating new careers for themselves, lucrative careers for themselves. Is the same thing going on in the personal injury realm? It is, but it really doesn't apply to the everyday uh, auto accident case. Okay. It does, though, apply to the more serious injury cases, um, the medical malpractice cases, um, and the injuries that are that you know are are really really life changing. And like you said, I my mentor, my judge that I clerked with, Judge Doyne up in Bergen County, he now is is doing mediation, and he's one of those guys I always look to, like my brother, to you know to really I wanted to emulate, and he's he's mediating but he's mediating you know really high end high value cases and for a plaintiff's attorney of course i want those we all do they don't always, they don't come in bunches let's put, let's put it that way mm-hmm. so but but believe me if i can get a, someone to agree to mediation it's definitely the way to go how about technology so and this is a multi-branched question how about technology as it relates to uh, preparing for a trial and presenting your trial. Have there been advances that you use? That I use, I have, yes. I've, I've used t- t- TVs and some PowerPoint um, presentations. I don't do it on every trial. I do do it on the trials that I know are more, uh, more involved, more evidence, more things that I have to, to highlight and show. Um, I do know attorneys that they every single trial they use it, whether it's a you know a minor car accident case to the most difficult case. I don't rely on it, Jeff. I don't, uh, I'm all for um, evidence and presentation of evidence, but not so much in a technological way. Um, I'll always have my, my poster boards and things that I know the jury will want to see, um, and I'll make it clear. But technology, it's there, but it's not for every attorney. Got it. Technology and finding experts. Talk about that over your evolution of 25 years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, experts are, you know, in this, in my realm of practice, we have some go-to experts that we, we, we use all the time. So I don't really have to go too far to try to, you know, think outside the box with experts. Now, some cases I do. I have a medical malpractice case that's going on right now that I have experts from, from you know, over the country. Right, that you you find them because you get referrals, referrals, um, and you know that kind of that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. got it, got yeah. it. All right. Well, I started this whole thing off with the best lawyer characteristics. Let's flip that coin over. Some of our colleagues may be the ones who, when we hear they're on the other side of a case, we start shaking our head. The stomach acid starts moving a little bit. What are the characteristics <laughs> of the worst lawyer that you run into? You know, you know, when I think about that question, I do think about my days of practicing matrimonial law more so because I ran into him more in that field than I do in the civil field. Honestly, I do. So, so my recent exposure to those kind of attorneys hasn't been that great, but I could tell you, I have vivid memories of attorneys in that, in the divorce field that are just, uh, you know, you can have nightmares over. And those, (laughs) those characteristics that they show, and I'm sure you could corroborate this is that, you know, they're, they're kind of blowhards, they kind of full full speed ahead without thinking about really what's right. They kind of think 
let me do this because maybe my client will like to hear it and maybe my client will think I'm a good attorney. All the wrong reasons why, you know, you want to, you know, prosecute a case. And you instantly know it and you're right when you, when you come up against someone who, you know, a familiar name and the world and the universe knows it. You, you just, you got to grin and bear it, but <laughs> you, you don't have to like it. <laughs> you you uh, conduct yourself with a lot of humility so I want to dig into something deeper that really uh, sets you apart besides what people hear and, and get through this recording and everything you can learn about, Joe. You spend some time with a litigation strategy expert in Northern California a few years ago, and you shared with me that you got a lot of wisdom out of that and you really felt like your trial um, strategy was hardened, and and that guy is named Rodney Jew, and he, um, that's his exclusive business, right? Litigation strategy, and you go see him, you go to him, and uh, he takes you from being merely a uh, a uh, seaman and turns you into a Navy SEAL. <laughs> Tell me about that I listened, experience. I was lucky enough to have a client that was willing to pay me as well as three other attorneys and fly us out to Napa Valley to do it. Uh, otherwise, God... I wouldn't have had that experience. So <clears throat> I was involved in this massive litigation, insurance fraud, and I had a doctor who I loved and I fought like crazy for, and I, I wanted to help in any way I could. So this opportunity came. Um, someone heard about this guy in California, and he said, and he presented it to my client, my client who was a doctor, <clears throat> and he said, if you fly us out there, we'll, we're going to get it. We're going to get a strategy specific to this case. We're going to bring out what the, what the plaintiff is trying to prove here, and we're going to get this guy to help us with our defenses. And you go out to Napa Valley. Uh, my brother was with me, believe it or not, on that one because he was helping me with the case. He, he came back to practice a little bit. And you have, you, you have your yogurt in the morning with blueberries and granola because that's how they live out there, and that's what he gave us all. And he his idea was to really to drill down and just keep drilling down and drill down and drill down and think – what really are the really main landmines, he calls them, of your case. And it's the first time I heard the concept of, of the landmine, which is a kind of a common concept now. But figure out what the landmines are and try to diffuse them. If you can't, do your best to diffuse it and make it as soft as possible. Now, some cases you're going to have the worst fact that you can possibly have and you're going to say, but – but Rodney, this is going to go to the jury. He's going to hear that this, you know, for example, he was in jail or something. And how do, how do I get around that? Because the jury's going to hate him and blah, blah, blah. And he, he goes, he takes you through a process for hours and hours on how, on how to diffuse it and how to make it so, you know, it's out there. You don't run from it ever. And the jury will, will probably appreciate it, appreciate you for it. What I've taken to every single case since that time is that, I look for all my weaknesses in every case because no case is, is so solid where you don't have anything you got to worry about. Every case you have to worry about. And I build it around that case. So you start with the landmines in mind. That's right. Every okay. time. Okay. Every single time. So that's just part of your screening process? You have this landmine mentality immediately popping up in your head? You, you almost know what it is because if, you know, if it's if it's a personal injury case, so let's say it's a slip and fall case, and recently I had one where a woman fell down a flight of stairs, and the question was, how did she fall? She told me how she fell, and I knew it was something that the landlord was responsible for, but 
it didn't she's when she went to the ER she said she tripped over sheets instead of the tripping over the hazard that I had to prove and I asked her about it and she said I was carrying sheets I didn't say I tripped over sheets but I knew that the that the defense was going to hang their hat on that e emergency room note but I figured out a way to get around it and we can't hide from it and you do what you can to just to be honest about it soften it but really show what the real facts are and it worked and it worked so that's sort of your unfair advantage to the world is that little angle go out to Rodney Jew and then and then, and every attorney can have that experience but yeah i mean i think i think a lot of attorneys think the same way i do um, but that guy helped me hone in on it more more so and it's really helped me in in every single case i have uh, one of the questions i like to ask is whether you would encourage or urge your children to consider a career in the law. Now, you come from, as we talked about, sort of two different parallel, unrelated fields from your brothers. Anyhow, uh, you have your four children. They're a couple of teenagers by now, I would say. So uh, what say you about your children, if they had any inkling? I would love it. Honestly, Jeff, I would. And I know that that's not the the norm for most attorneys, because I Almost every attorney I talk to says I would never want my kids to get involved in this practice because it is hard. It is a grind. You do have to work your butt off and you have to be motivated. But I, the way I look at it is you're a kid coming up and you're looking to go to college and figure out what, you're going to, what your path is going to be. As long as you're eager, as long as you're, you have some self-motivation and you, you want to try hard and succeed – it doesn't matter what the profession is. So I don't look at the law as something that is so you're going to have a lot of law loans or it's so competitive because everyone wants to be a lawyer. You make your way. We made our way. Right. And we didn't come from anything, you and I. Sure. So I, I if my son wanted to come and practice, believe me, I'd want to I'd, I'd welcome him here at this firm with open arms or I'd get him a job at your firm. <laughs> Whatever. Absolutely. But but it's the law, Jeff, is the ultimate profession. Presidents are lawyers. Lawmakers are lawyers. All our senators. It is the honorable profession in the world. Yes, they're, we're the butt of jokes. But if you really, again, like drill down on it, there's no profession like a lawyer as far as it's the most honorable job to have. And I think it does garner the most respect. I really do. Well, it's, I'm so glad you said that because you and uh, our other colleague who you know well, Mike DeSico, have uh, eloquently put the, put the uh, cherry on top for why we do what we do, even though it can be very challenging and very difficult and people do run away and seek other professions earlier in the career, middle of their career. Um, there, there's some magic to it, and, uh, but you have to do it for a while. To, to get that feel in the beginning, you, you don't have that majestic feeling about it all the time. No, no, no. You know, you got to bust your butt in the beginning. But that's but don't you have to do that with any job now? You know, I don't know kids coming out nowadays. I don't I don't want to be that person who talks like that about millennials and all that stuff. But, <laughs> no. but all you know is that it, it, this basic concept of just working hard and and, and making your, a name for yourself is built on being eager being motivated and just and just working hard. That that's if I, if my kids can do that, then whatever profession they get in, believe me, uh, you know my son wants to be a caddy right now, and I tell him those those things. I just say 
show that caddy master you're eager because if you don't, there's another guy that's going to be right behind you that's right. going to want to make you know a hundred dollars on a loop that you can make in like four hours. Mm, so, pretty nice, pretty nice. Yeah. For a teenager, get that hundred bucks. That's right. To you. That's right. That's right. Uh, so that's a good uh, segue, Joe. Yeah. To advice to your twenty-five-year-old self, you've now said, "Okay, law school. You're out of law school, and maybe you don't want to go into the family business. You want to go do something else in the law. So you're a new lawyer." Maybe you're thinking about an associate. Uh, what do you say to that person? What's the advice that you would have really gained a lot out of That's 20 question. years ago? Yeah, right. Because in, in a lot of ways, I didn't have, you know, I sort of knew I was going to eventually end up with my brothers. You're right. You got to find what you, what areas you like, obviously. I clerked for a judge, as did you. And then when you clerk for a judge, you're kind of stuck with that you know, area of the law and, and whether you follow with that, which usually people do with their judges, you go for it. But I, I would say find out something that you're passionate about, what, what area of people that you want to help, whether it's people in divorce and crisis, uh, whether you want to defend the big companies or prosecute them, whether you want to help the injured person and, and go start interviewing, go start looking. Uh, there's, there's tons of opportunities out there in this profession. I mean, really, you can, you want to be an entertainment lawyer, you can, you want to practice uh, environmental law, because you're passionate about that. You can, I mean, those areas you got to, you know, you're going to put your hours in, but uh, that's what I would say, Jeff. Yeah. Well, you've made it worthwhile for yourself. And uh, I'm I'm so glad to hear these words. And I hope there's some uh, eager beavers out there listening that say, all right, I'm having a bad day, but this is boosting me up a little bit and get me back out there, right? That's right. Uh, I, I found that um, from the very beginning, if, if I was a young puppy and I kept my mouth shut and just asked questions of the lawyers, they were eager to help right. for the most part. Right. And, and not just people that were your friends, right. almost anybody. And you soaked it in, I'm sure. I'm I did. Sure you soaked I, it in. I did soak it in. I did soak it in. I mean, that's probably one. Of, that's probably one of the motivations for even asking these questions and having these dialogues. And I, I get so much satisfaction out of it. So hopefully, I'm giving back, and I'm, I know I'm getting a lot out of it. Well, you went out. You went out on your own very early, very early, or if not, right from the <laughs> <Very> beginning. <laughs> uh, foolishly, I went from law school right. to clerkship. Right on the your clerkship own. ended August 31st. September 1, I went to work on my own, That's firm, amazing. My own practice, just me, and I got to work at about 11.30 that morning because I was taking the printer from my father's home, and he had a beige rug, and the printer leaked <laughs> all across my oh. father's rug. So I spent the first two hours as a lawyer cleaning up printer ink <laughs> on a beige rug. My father was sleeping, and I'm going, shh, shh, shh. He's like, what? What the hell is going right, on? Right, right. Uh, so well, funny, funny stuff. That is funny. Everyone's got those stories starting yeah. out, but yeah. you know, if you can start out, and that's the thing about this profession, you can go hang a shingle and and try to make it on your own without ever ever having to work for someone. I mean, it's the unique profession where you can do that, and it, it does take a little bit of capital, but not you know, not so much. You just need clients. The the stuff I was good at, I still like doing. And that was talking to new clients, meeting new people. You know, I love the people one at a time. Right. Uh, I never felt like I was great to work a room. 
when I walk into a room, the room doesn't part and say, wow, this <laughs> no. guy's going to have something great to say. That's never happening. Right. I don't right. know if you feel the same way, but the one I do. Client- I do. I do. I do. Much better one-on-one. And I know uh, if I get a client that I believe in, then they're going to, in my estimation at least, they're going to have as good of an attorney that they're going to ever get. Uh, that That's truly how I feel. Yeah. I really I wouldn't take a case that I didn't think I couldn't handle, but... Um, when I do take a case, you know, they'll get what they, they deserve, believe me. Which leads us to the big question. I put you in charge of our world, the lawyer, judge, client, court staff, experts, whoever you want to encompass in this question. The big ask, the big request, what would you ask of our industry? You can get as broad or as specific as you like. Make it better for everybody. Well, I, that's going to come from the perspective of a trial attorney, and you know, for us, what, and I, and I, and I'm even including matrimonial attorneys like you because I do do some of that too. I mean, we're not in front of juries, but we are in front of judges. So my my thing, I guess, and I think this is common because I do talk to other attorneys about it, is is the um, the process of of be, of becoming a judge, and who you know in New Jersey at least it's. Uh, you're appointed, you're not elected, but even the appointment process, to me, a litigation background would be a requirement to be a judge that does litigation. And and the same for matrimonial. I feel like let's let's appoint people that have some experience, especially in family law when they're going in there new and they're and they're hearing those problems that people have on a daily basis. Give 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 some litigation experience to these attorneys, or or at least choose some attorneys that have that type of experience before you put them, you know, deciding some important issues. That would be my big thing. I don't have many complaints about it, but for the most part, you know, I meet people like you, honestly, and I meet other great attorneys that uh that make your life more, you know, more fulfilling. It could be it could be worse. It could be worse. That oh is for God. sure. That is absolutely for sure. Um, I guess I'm going to now pivot over to what I call the commercial. So your firm is Lepore, L-E-P-O-R-E, and Louise, L-U-I-Z-Z-I. Uh, give us a 30-second commercial. We're stuck in an elevator, and I say, oh, what do you do for a living, Joe? And you give me the, give me the spiel. Well, we, we are, like I've said many times throughout this, we're, we're a general litigation firm. I've always said that um, we are very personalized, meaning that our clients are treat, treat us like family. Um, they walk in and out of here. They talk to our staff. They stop in whenever they want. We are extremely accessible uh, to our clients, and we give them, um, you know, a personalized service that I think everyone would deserve. So you get sort of a uh, small firm feel, although we have the capabilities of of uh, what big firms have. And if you're if you have a problem, if you're owed money, it's not only personal injury, it's it's contract, it's corporate law, we, it's, it's a state law, uh, it's general litigation. We're, we have done it for 25 years, and uh, we've been in brick for that long, 30-something years, so we're pretty well known around here. Um, yeah, I don't like that, you know, All right. I think that's good. So where do people find you in the world? You can Google us. We're, uh, our website is Um and how about a phone number address se- sure 732-920-5500 and um we're at 489 aurora place in brick uh, 
Brick's a big town. You know, it's you know, it's got ninety thousand people in it. So we're we love being here. Great. Uh, this has been great for me. Uh, we have these chats, as I mentioned earlier, a few times, and uh, don't be surprised if anyone's listening that Joe would come back again, and we would dig even deeper and uh, expand and learn more from him. So thanks so much for hosting us, number one, and uh, thanks so much for all your time. Thank you, Jeff. It's Attorney Dan Straffy. Thanks for listening to The Bold Sidebar. Share The Bold Sidebar with your lawyer friends and professional colleagues. Please subscribe on iTunes and check out the show notes for the episode highlights and links to resources discussed on the show. Give us your feedback on social media at hornlawgroup.com, Divorce in a Minute, and of course, The Bold Sidebar. And tell us what you want to hear and who you want to hear it from. Hey, everybody. It's Jeff again. Need to find us? Check us out on the web at hornlawgroup.net or give us a call at 732-736-9300. Thanks.